from days of long ago. From uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend. Now make sure you say my name right. It's Latine. See, I talk about things other people are scared to talk about. What they're afraid to say. When I walk into the building, you know what they whisper to each other? This is Robert Littow from BlackSportsOnline.com and you're listening to the Ugly Truth Podcast. Why don't tell you those pretty lies? I tell you the ugly truth about what's going on in the world of sports, entertainment, and viral news. Uh, This will be the last podcast of the week because I'm headed off to Dallas, Big D, uh, for the Earl Spence. Mikey Garcia fight should be a good one. Mikey's going up two weight classes, daring to be great. Uh, You see that happen from time to time, but it's normally when a fighter does that, he does it against an aging opponent or a less skilled opponent. I can't actually think of a time that a fighter has moved up in two weight classes to fight what many consider the best in the division and definitely a top five pound for pound fighter. A lot of people think Earl Spence is the best fighter in boxing. So that should be interesting. It could go a lot of different ways. And I talk about those different ways on social media and black sports uh, online. So be sure to check that out. But want to do a quick podcast before I went uh, for basically two, two things. Uh, By now, most of you have seen uh, my appearance on Van Lathan's Red Pill podcast with Amanda Seals. Uh, Just a quick backstory for those that don't know what's going on. I'll do it really quick because there's some specific points that I want to get to. Uh, Quick backstory. Uh, Probably a month ago, I had no idea who Amanda Seals was. I've watched Insecure, but I don't watch it a lot. And I just wasn't familiar with her work. I didn't know who she was. Uh, from some research, it does seem like she's come up and, you know, really made a good career about herself and is on the upswing. That's a beautiful thing. I like black people getting work. Whatever the case, uh, a couple of weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, uh, she goes on The Breakfast Club, says she had a bad encounter with someone uh, doesn't give his name, but says he's a Rhodes Scholar, used to play football, and is in Boston. You know, they take a rocket science if you really wanted to look into it uh, to figure out who it was. Once people figured out who it was, they started hitting her up uh, and saying that they've had, let's say, well, let's just use her words, uh, bad interactions with him uh, that she coined predatorial. And that could get him uh, fired and that they were in uh, the workplace. Uh, That's what she said. Uh, After she said that, uh, the gentleman, Myron Rowe, played for FSU and a little bit in the NFL uh, with the Tennessee Titans before, you know, it was a Rhodes Scholar. uh, And then, you know, decided to to go and be a doctor full time and is now a uh, resident and a neurosurgeon at a Boston you know, hospital, basically doing brain surgery on little kids, saving lives. Uh, he comes out with a statement on Instagram saying, you know, this is someone I had an interaction with one time. 
It didn't work out. She was upset that I didn't want to pursue a relationship uh, with her. Uh, these are false claims, false accusations. I never, you know, uh, harassed her or have sexually harassed uh, anyone. Um, and this is, you know, bullying and intimidation and it won't be tolerated. Much of at that point, bunch of websites, including the Miami Herald, all come out with stories saying that <clears throat> Myron Roll uh, has, you know, denied um you know, harassing Amanda Seals or harassing or sexually harassing or being predatorial toward um, any women. Uh, about, I would say, a week after that, uh, Amanda Seals come out with another video uh, backtracking, saying uh, she specifically didn't say that he harassed her uh, or sexually harassed her or harassed her in any way, even though she did use the term problematic, uh, but she did not use the word harass. Um, and just said, hey, it was the other women that I was speaking up for. I wrote a headline uh, that said Amanda Seals, you know, lied about saying that she was harassed by Myron Rowe. I made that headline based off what Myron Rowe said and what some of the other earlier uh, news reports had said, that that's what she was accusing him of. Uh, in that regard, it wasn't uh, intentional. It wasn't I was trying to go after, I was simply using what normal people do in this business is if there's 17 articles that say Amanda Seals have accused somebody and the person says, I, you know, that never happened. And then the original accuser comes back and say, well, I never said it. Then obviously then there's some untruths with this there. Now, her point is she never actually said it, may have implied it. Uh, but did not say it with those own words. And she's right in that regard. I can't even fight that point. She, it was maybe an implication. Uh, it was definitely floated out there, but she did not say the words. So at that point, I do what always is. Things change. I changed the headline and was moved, it was, had moved on with my life. I was not tripping about this. It was a story. I write hundreds of stories. And, you know, believe it or not, you know, a lot of those stories do very well. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, it's not like I need one story to get on. I've been getting on for a very long time. I know what I'm doing. Whatever the case, she was upset with me, not the 30 other stories, I guess, that said something that she said is not true, but I digress. She's upset with me. Like I said, I talked to Van. Van is a friend of hers. He felt like the headline was, you know, irresponsible. Uh, we talked for a while over the phone and via text. And I said, you know something? You're probably right, you know, because I'm willing to listen. Um, so I changed the headline. No problem. No big deal. Next thing you know, somebody from a management is calling. They're still upset. It's like, I changed the headline. I don't know exactly what you want me to do. I don't, what I said in the article, I still believe that, you know, what I said, they, I said, look, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to, I offered several different options. I said, I could talk to Amanda. I could, you know, put out a, a retraction. I could put out, you know, an earlier version of this story said this, and it should have said that. Like I'm, I do that all the time. You, you know, you know, you get all type of stuff, cease and desist. And this is not what really happened. I need you to correct. I mean, that happens all the time. It's not a big deal. 
talk to that lady for, you know, 30 minutes. Once again, moving on with my dad. As I told her very specifically that, you know, I thought the best thing to do is just move on. Because trust me, in my business, there's other stuff happening like the next day and people have moved on. It wasn't that big of a story that it was going to hang around for like, you know, three weeks. You know, by the, it was over the weekend. It was over. Alas, I get contacted once again. by well, I take that. Like Van contacted me after I told him what happened, the corrections, all the offers that I made to make them feel happy. Van says, hey, you just want to come on the podcast and talk about it. Uh, this podcast is very popular, the Red Pill podcast. I like it. I listen to it all the time. Like I say, he's a friend of mine. I said, sure. No problem at all. I come on the podcast. No biggie. I go on podcasts all the time, on radio, TV. I do all this stuff. No biggie. I, yeah, it's nothing new to me. So I was cool. I'm going to go on the podcast. I believe maybe later in that day or the next day, he says, hey, Amanda wants to come on the podcast, too. And it's funny because he mentioned to me, he said he thought when, when he told me that, that I was going to, you know, back out. And I can understand why he was thinking that. But, you know, you don't, if it's, I don't have a lot of like hard set rules. Uh, but one of the rules that, that from the day that I started BSO and just a life rule is I am never going to be the guy that says all this. And I'm not, I don't even, I wouldn't even call it like talking trash or anything like that. It's just what I believe when I'm writing about it. But I've never been the type of guy that will write stuff about somebody and then try to avoid them if they're looking for me or if they're not looking for me. That's just not the type of guy that I am. That's not mean I'm trying to elicit confrontation. That just means that if you have something to say about something that I said, I want to make sure that you know I'm not I'm not like the fan, you know, in in it, it, with jazz and you know talking crazy from from up thirty feet in the stands. No, I'm, I'm gonna be right here. You know, I, I remember you know just to give you an example. You know, when the Cavs were in the finals and wrote all all of this stuff about Tristan Thompson the first time that he cheated. You know, that was a story like that. Like that was an everyday story for two, three, four weeks in a row. Ah, uh, you know, media scrum. What's up, Tristan? Let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. This is BSO. If he wanted to pull me aside, talk about it, he could have. Chose not to, but he could have. No wrote so you know, got in a little I didn't even get in the back and forth. Carl Anthony Towns didn't like some of the stuff that we wrote. No problem. I that's okay. All-star game, media day, Carl Anthony Towns. Hey, Rob Latow, BSO, da 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 da. Once again, you want to talk about it? I'm right here. And that goes for media people, goes for athletes, goes now for actresses. So I wouldn't no, I wasn't gonna run from it. So I'm sure, no problem. Wanna talk about it? Let's talk about it. I think dialogue, especially on these type of situations, um, is good. Now, now that you got the kind of the backstory of what's going on, let me tell you how. I knew kind of how this was going to go and how I made sure that I didn't get baited into it the way that it was 
I think plan happened. And when I say plan, I'm not talking about Van. I think Van just, you know, wanted to have a, a dialogue and conversation. Me and him are very cool. Uh, we talk on offline, very cool people. He, unlike others, when he had a problem with me, came to me personally, uh, man to man, behind the scenes, not on Twitter, not on Snapchat, not on Instagram. And that's all you want from people that, you know, you talk to uh, in this industry. Uh, but seeing how Amanda had, does her interviews and how she does her Instagram and stuff like that, I knew that I was going to have to take a different tack uh, with doing this interview. And I say that, and if you guys have seen me do my thing, listen to the podcast, you've maybe seen me on TYT, seen some YouTube, you've seen me on other stuff over the years of different radio shows, you know that I can be naturally animated. Not like Stephen A animated, like I'm not forcing it. I'm just, I'm naturally animated. I'm naturally colorful. I'm naturally, you know, with the analogies and the metaphors. That's the old rapper, you know, in me. So I'm natural with that. That's just how I talk. That's how I talk on a normal everyday basis, not like an act. That's just how I am. And anybody who's been around me can tell you that's just how that's how Rob is. But I didn't think that was the proper route to go with her because I felt that if I was too animated, if I was too speaking in, in my normal, you know, voice, which is kind of like the way this one, you know, is, that what would end up happening is she would play the victim role and say that I am mansplaining and, you know, I'm trying to bully her. And this is, you know, men always yelling and, you know, she felt threatened by me. Like, so intentionally, if you listen to the podcast, you can see this. Intentionally, I put on what I like to call my very white after hours voice, <laughs> which is the voice I get like normally when I'm tired. Or just, you know, having, you know, regular, con- seriously, just regular conversation with someone. A very even tone. So no one who was listening, especially women, no one who was listening could accuse me of trying to out-talk her. And I was telling my barber, Big Kev, he's like, well, how'd you come up with that? I said, I, I came up with that because... I watched um, uh, the Steve Harvey interview with Monique. And those were two people that had two totally different way, ways of thinking. And I felt Steve Harvey had, you know, handled it horribly. Talking over, trying to mansplain it, not really getting his point across, talking too fast, not listening. And it just, over, it just overrode whatever points he was trying to make. So I was like, I wasn't going to do that. I'm even kill. And the second thing that, that I thought would be effective would be to never cut her off while she's talking. And I felt that would be effective because I wanted to show people that I was not there for a performance. I was there to talk about a serious issue. So I was never going to let her talk as much as she wanted to. 
which is unusual because if any of you guys know me, I talk all the time. My fiance is like, you never shut up. You're always talking. Everything is long-winded. This story is getting long-winded, just the way I am. But no, I was going to let her talk. Never cut her off. And the last thing that I was going to do to try to make sure that my points got across clearly was the point that I knew that they were both critical of me on. I was going to address it from the beginning, explain it, apologize, and try to move on to the bigger point. Now, I feel like I achieved all three of those things. But some other things ended up happening. You know, that's what happened in live settings. A couple of things happened was, even though I addressed it right from the beginning and apologized, being the bigger person, it was continually brought up any time that I tried to ask a question to make a point. And what was funny (laughs) about it was that when it came to me, it didn't matter what I said. We would just continue to bring up the headline. But when it came to her, the, the topics could be wide ranging and she could talk about whatever she wanted to talk about. But that was okay. That was just bullets that you got to take. The second thing was, even though I would not cut her off, I was continually cut off. And but I kept my cool the entire time. Even though it's hard to do when you're trying to get a point across and people are cutting you off. It's wild that someone would talk straight for five minutes and have me listen to the entire thing. And I get into 30 seconds of what I'm saying and I get cut off. But once again, I kind of expected this. Now, with that being said. I do feel like my overall point, and I appreciate Amanda coming on and Van having me on. I I do feel like my overall point, even though it took a lot longer than probably it should have, came across very clear. And that point is, at what point do we decide that without any proof that we should put a serious accusation out in a public space? And it doesn't matter if it's BSO, doesn't matter if it's Amanda Seals, doesn't matter if it's your plumber. Because anybody at this point can come out with an accusation and, and rip somebody's life apart. What's the responsibility for that? I said the, this entire thing is kind of a chicken and the egg thing. By the time it got to my headline, we were all way down the timeline of questionable things. Way before we got to my headline. Right. We need to go all the way back to the beginning. When you're doing the Breakfast Club interview, do you really need to put Rhodes Scholar, football player, Boston, so people can figure it out, which they did. Second part, once people come to you. And I say this as someone where people come to me every single day with something about somebody. And a lot of times, it's very suspect on the person that they're talking about. 
Or we just at a point where we're just putting everything out that we hear. According to Amanda, she felt what she did was a safe place in between getting the information out there and potentially getting them fired or arrested. My counterpoint to that is, as soon as you put it out there, you become the cops. You put an accusation with no proof, no evidence, just your word and the words of people that other people are telling you out there. And that stigmatism of harassment, predatorial behavior, making people uncomfortable in the workplace, that's going to stick because of who you are. Now, would you have done that if it was your friend? Or, did, you know what I'm saying? Like, would it have been the same? Or are you only doing that because you and the person had a uncomfortable, an uncomfortable situation? As someone that hears a lot of stuff by a lot of people, unless there is some proof that I can back up, I'm very leery of putting stuff out there. Because once it's out there, it's out there. It's totally different. And we've talked about this before. If it's already out there in the public, then fine, put it out there. But if it's in private and the people in private don't want to speak on it, is it really your responsibility to speak on it? Because she added eight more people. So that's 16 women. So out of the 16 women, none of them wanted to go public. So you, but then you, want, you did it for them, but with no evidence. And this is not saying that I believe my role is innocent or guilty. This is a bigger overreaching point. Where is the line? And as I told all of them, I've gotten stuff about her. What if, you know, I've been sitting on my, I, you know, I have a little apartment, a little condo by the beach. I have a very happy life. I have a beautiful fiance. I have a wonderful daughter. Besides doing well, I get to do cool things. I'm not problematic at all. I, there's nothing problematic about me. I mean, you know, I'm not, I don't, there's no, nothing that any woman could say that, you know, I've done something problematic to them. Now, what if tomorrow, you know, because somebody saw the podcast and didn't like something that I said, there's three women going to her DM to say, Robert Latow did X, Y, and Z. I don't know who these women are. Maybe I met them. Five years ago, for all I know. But what if they just said that? And then that comes out. Is that truly fair to me? Is it? Am I going to get the benefit of the doubt? Am I? That's what I was trying to say. So, once again, appreciate Van for having me on. Appreciate Amanda for having a conversation with me. Um, there are some things I didn't appreciate, but yeah, it's life. Move on. And that's what I'm doing. I, I, this is the last time I'm going to speak about this. So that's my final word. So now that we got that uh, out the way, I just want to point out one thing that truly annoyed me. 
And it has to do with Le'Veon Bell. This concept that Le'Veon Bell took a loss, took an L. And the simplicity of it, if you just want to be simple-minded, is, well, Le'Veon Bell didn't play last year. So, you know, if he played under the franchise tags, $14.5 million. He lost that. He goes to the Jets. He gets $35 million guarantee. Now, a simple-minded person will say, well, he could have played last year at 14.5 and, you know, potentially got $35 million this year. So he lost $14.5 million, and therefore he took it out. That's why people, people are simple-minded because media uh, controls narrative. So you have the media out here saying he took a loss. So fans are idiots, and they're saying he took a loss. The reality of it, and it's not hard, it's not a complicated problem to figure out, is Le'Veon Bell did what I like to call a risk-reward business decision. The reason being is the contract offer, the long-term contract offer that he got for the Steelers only had $10 million guaranteed for the first year of the deal. The franchise tag, as you know, is $14.5 million. So you either had the choice, sign a long-term deal at $10 million for the first year or play under the franchise tag at fourteen point five. Now, you say, well, what's the problem with either of that? Because, you know, if you get to the second year, now all of a sudden, you know, you got you got a lot more money in your pocket. This is true. And the chances that he would make it to that second year are probably pretty high. But they're not absolute. It's not 100 percent. There are so many things we see change, especially with an NFL player, from year to year. I remember, uh, especially with running backs, I remember Sean Alexander. He had ran for almost 2,000 yards one year, like 30 touchdowns or something. He was out the league two years later. Remember Icky Woods? Came on on the scene, Icky Shuffle. Rookie of the year, out the league by 26. You know, even someone as great as Adrian Peterson, you know, killing it in Minnesota for a long time, and now it's, you know, bouncing between teams now. Your shelf life is not very long as a running back, and can particularly end at any time. Le'Veon Bell was getting 400 touches. 400, and it's been injury prone. So the only thing that the Steelers were responsible for was that $14.5 million or that $10 million. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, and it doesn't have to be a career-ending injury, let's just say that he, he plays and in week 15, he tears his Achilles. Or his ACL. Something where if you do it at the beginning of the season, you know, maybe no problem. 
coming back. You do tour at the end of the season, it's highly likely your next season may not even be happening. So the Steelers, you know, cut him because he, you know, he has a torn Achilles. Now he's on the free agent market, a market that's not that strong for running backs anyway. Someone like Tevin Coleman, who's a very good running back, is getting two years, ten million. So it's not like you know, business is not booming for running back. So now you have him on the market, torn Achilles. All of these carries, all of this wear and tear on his body. You see someone like Todd Gurley that got arthritis in his knee already. I think somebody's willing to give a 28-year-old back with all of those carries, injury history, and a torn Achilles coming off a torn Achilles. $35 million. Not bloody likely. So he decided to sit out. Yeah, he lost out on the $14.5 million, but potentially that could have been the only money that he ever, the last money that he ever got, the last big money. You know, like I said, what if he gets hurt or something happens to him and now he has to take a, a one-year deal for $5 million. And he's never the same. So he never, ever can get to that $35 million threshold ever again because he played that one year under the franchise tag. So it's not a hard concept. It's not an L. It's just a decision. Did he want more? Did he want $45 million, $50 million? Of course, everybody wants more. But for a running back to get $35 million guaranteed and potentially $60 million overall, that's not an L. And we don't know if he's going to be the same back after he took a year off. But what we do know is he's going to get his $35 million. Makes me really wonder about the agendas of some media people. They seem so pro-owner. But then you look in the, you know, you look in the, the, the press box and you wonder how many of those are MAGA people that just know better than to post it. And speaking of which, you know, Odell Beckham got traded. And from what I've been told, sources, um, we have a couple of people that that have worked with the Giants, so uh, you know, I got some sources. You know, basically, it was simply the coach didn't like him, and the GM thought he was poisonous to the locker room. Um, the thing is, everybody liked Odell, and Odell is like a super celebrity, so everybody wanted to hang out with Odell. And for some reason, even though Odell works very hard, and everybody else on the team works very hard, they felt that he was a bad influence on the other players. So they got rid of him and sent them to the Browns. And I think a couple of things hurt Odell. First of all, when you're a wide receiver, it's kind of like a running back. They don't feel your value as much. We saw that with Antonio Brown. And in the NFL, being yourself is almost frowned upon. It's not even almost. It is frowned upon. Coaches want players that, like the Army, 
Just do whatever I tell you to do. And that doesn't always, you know, work out very well. People are individuals. And, you know, Odell Beckham's a unique case, and he got really famous really fast, and he has really famous friends all over the world. And he's a wide receiver. But he's a very good wide receiver. And, yes, he likes to be on the yachts and Timberlands and that fashion week, and he make love to nets and stuff, and he's emotional. And he punches, you know, you know he's emotional because he want to win. He want to play. That's just how he is. Nobody gets on Philip Rivers for being emotional. Nobody gets on Tom Brady for being emotional. Now it's quarterbacks. So that's different. For 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 whatever reason, they want every wide receiver to be like Larry Fitzgerald and Julio Jones. Every running back to be like, you know, Barry Sanders. You know. I'm not exactly sure that's a cultural thing, if it's a racial thing. I don't know. I just think it's very stupid for an organization to trade away a player that they just gave a massive contract extension who's, you know, along with Saquon Barkley are the best, two of the best at their position and assume that your 100-year-old quarterback, and I like Eli, it's just, you know, sometimes when you're done, you're done. But put your faith in you know, an old quarterback by taking away probably the web. Here's the thing. If, if the the giant, if the giants didn't draft Odell Beckham and he wasn't Odell Beckham, Eli Manning would be retired right now. Career would be over. Odell Beckham literally saved his career, but it's Odell Beckham that gets away. Once again, you see, I, it was the funniest thing today. I think it was Kimberly Jones from the NFL Network uh, shared a nice story about Odell Beckham. She had went through a serious medical issue, an artery or something that burst in her chest, a vein or something, very, something very serious. She was in the hospital for like four, three, four weeks. Uh, she fully recovered, thankfully. Uh, went by the locker room, you know, because she covers the, the Giants and the Jets. Like she said, she got a text from Odell Beckham with a video just saying he was so happy that she was going to be there next year to, to cover him. She got choked up about it because she, know, she knows him and she knows that he's not a bad guy. You know, emotional guy, but not a bad guy. And I saw all these reporters say, you know, this is, read this story about Odell and uh, this is such, such, but they're the same reporters that created the negative narrative about Odell. It's so hypocritical. It's just, it's just, it's just really frustrating. It's truly, truly frustrating. Let me just leave you with this. Just, I know fans, I know you're fans, but just realize that the athletes that we as journalists cover, you know, you don't know them, the, the person. You know what we write about. You know what they do on the court. You know what they say in the, after the game. But you don't know them. And remember, they're just people too. That's just people. Like, it's look at it like this. You know, say, well, they make millions and millions of dollars, right? So that and that. But that doesn't make them any different than you and me. You know, I make a lot more money than the person at Starbucks. But they don't look at me any different than I look at them. 
You know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, we're still just talking. You know, they just making a latte and, you know, I get paid way too much to write about sports and entertainment. They're just people. Just remember that. You know, when you're in the stands, when you're on your laptops, I know it's probably too much to ask for, but just remember that. They're people. At the end of the day, they're just people like you and me. No different. Follow me on Twitter, especially this weekend, at BSO. Uh, Facebook is BSO TV. Uh, Instagram, no, Facebook, man, it's getting late. Facebook is Black Sports Online. Instagram is BSO TV, along with uh, YouTube. Uh, like I said, go check out Van Lathan's Red Pill Podcast to see your boy. I believe it's SoundCloud, iTunes. Uh, also, the full video uh, is up on YouTube. You'll see me not talking a lot and her talking a lot and then me getting cut off a lot. But I digress. I'm out.